If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. It's easy to somewhat theorize the Bible. We say that a lot. Uh, but, but we, I need to tell you this morning, to remind you, and I need to be reminded myself, that those three verses to open up is the story of all of us. <laughs> like, I, 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 sometimes I... Sometimes I, I, I wonder if, if I overlook my need to be reminded of the fundamental truths of the gospel, or do I, have I convinced myself that those are elementary doctrines that I've just moved on from? And I hope that, I hope that we all see this morning that if the Lord would not, if it would not have been for the sustaining merciful and gracious intervention and action of the Lord, the world would have completely eaten you alive. And without the sustaining power and mercy and grace of the Lord, the, the world will completely eat you alive. In fact, one of, the, one of the things that is true about our day and our culture is that there is something almost virtuous in being critical, right? There is, there is um, societal and cultural, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Capital. There is societal, societal and cultural capital in being persistently critical. The people of God are marked by a deep and persistent thankfulness because if it would not have been for the Lord who was on our side, the world would have completely taken us under. And here's the reality. Some of you feel like you're almost taken under this morning, right? And, and that's, not, that's not an indictment upon your thankfulness. That's not an indictment upon your lack of godliness in any way. Please know that. But please know that you are alive today and that you are here today and that you hear the preaching of the word today and you are encouraged by the Holy Spirit today because the Lord, Christian, is on your side. The, the, the Lord is on your side. And so Psalm 124 can be summarized as a psalm of thankfulness. Again, in a world where capital is built by being perpetually critical and cynical, Psalm 124 shows us that the, that the common regular behavior of the Christian is a posture of thanksgiving and thankfulness, as we see today, even in the midst of hardship even in the midst of, of trial. And so as we briefly study this psalm today, uh, it will be evident that the thankfulness that we see is not merely the go around the table at th on Thanksgiving morning thankfulness. Y'all know how that goes, right? Um, you know, maybe, maybe it started off by like the, the leader of the family and they just give something so profound and then everybody has that crazy uncle that says something way off track. And you're just like, where did that come from? What, what do you mean you're thankful for, for that? And so it's not just this kind of smorgasbord, random kind of thankfulness. The thankfulness that we see in Psalm 124 is connected deeply to the, the truths about who God is. And so it may be that this psalm ref refers to the dangers and the turmoil 
that the Israelites faced while in Babylonian captivity. By the way, if you haven't been following along in the uh, Psalms journals that we've provided for you, uh, today's uh, Psalm 124, I was sharing with some folks this morning, today's uh, Psalm devotional is written by our very own Sally Williamson. Um, And so I would strongly encourage you. Uh, I I told her this morning that as I was studying for this psalm and reading through the the commentaries of the great theologians, uh, that I opened up that devotional and saw that Sally Williamson's name was there. Um, And Sally's devotional encouraged me very deeply. Um, And so go read that psalm for additional commentary and additional uh, understanding on this psalm. But one of the things that she brings, uh, brings to light in, uh, in, in her devotional is something that, that, that may be some of the backdrop and the context for this psalm. Um, the, the, the truth is, is that from the psalm itself, we don't know what it is that David's referring to. Uh, it doesn't explicitly say that this is about the Babylonian captivity. Um, and, and it also doesn't say but it could be a high possibility that this, is, um, that this is a psalm that's recalling the deliverance of the people of God from Egypt. That it would have just been the story handed down through the centuries and the generations. If you don't remember, if you, if you, if you haven't understood from the scriptures, um, it wasn't just like a, a thing that happened and was just part of their history. No, there, was, there were feasts and festivals and days set up throughout the year for the people of God to remember the deliverance from the, 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 the grips of the Egyptians. And so there were, there were, in fact, what we participate in every week in the Lord's Supper, Jesus attaches to, he connects it to being the Passover week when he takes it with his disciples. He connects it to back to the deliverance from the exile in Egypt. And so we don't know exactly what, uh, what it is that David is speaking of in this psalm, whether it be the Babylonian captivity or the Egyptian captivity, but regardless of what it would have, regardless of what it would have caused the people of God to think of immediately, um, two of our guiding principles, remember these are somewhat extra biblical that I've given you, but I think they're just helpful resources to study. Two helpful, two helpful lenses through which to read the psalms really apply to this psalm. Um, remember the first psalm, the first lens that we kind of that, that we are to understand and read the psalms through is the lens of God's character. Can I just tell you, there's nothing dangerous about reading the Bible through the lens of God's character, right? Sometimes there's dangerous things of us reading through the lens of our own experience, right? If we if we implant our own experience and our own reality into the Bible, let me just say something: that's dangerous. Because your, your experience doesn't always guide, really never guides the, the, the ultimate truth of who God is in the Word. But it's never dangerous to read the Psalms or read the Bible through the lens of the character of God. And what we see in this Psalm is that it attests to the eternal, unfailing nature of God as He protects and preserves His people. And so guess what? This Psalm doesn't tell us exactly what trial the people are walking through whether that's Babylon or Egypt. But guess what it does attest to? It attests to the fact that God is a God who protects and preserves and keeps his covenant with his people, right? That's, that's something that it attests to. We also read the Psalms through the lens of God's covenant and through his covenant people. Um, so God's protection and provision is based on what? It's based on his covenant with his people and his faithfulness in keeping it even when they have broken the, their part of the covenant. And so, man, aren't we thankful that God's protection and provision and faithfulness to us is not dependent upon our faithfulness and how well we are, well-behaved we are with him, right? No, it's based 
fully and wholly on his ability to keep his covenant with us and his desire to keep his covenant with us. And so again, whether it be their captivity in Babylon or in Egypt, by this time, people knew it was characteristic of God. that He is a faithful, covenant-keeping God who will not abandon his people. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna see three, three components of God honoring thanksgiving in this psalm. We're gonna see what the psalmist does. Now, does, is this all the components of thanksgiving? No, but in this psalm, we see three kind of specific movements um, of God honoring, God exalting thanksgiving. And they're gonna be kind of hard to understand at first, uh, but, but I hope, hopefully they'll make sense to us. The first, the first that we see in verses one through five, let's read that together. Would someone actually read that? I want today to be a little bit more interactive and where, where you're kind of bouncing around. It's holiday weekend. And so, you know, you're like, well, we just need to get out here and go grill, right? So let's, uh, let's, let's somebody read for us uh, verses one through five. Read aloud. Thanks, JB. That's my kid right there. So, uh, we, uh, I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't, that wasn't, we didn't, we didn't uh, orchestrate that. But, uh, so the first thing that we see in the psalmist's desire to express thanksgiving to God is that the psalmist recalls hardship. He remembers the difficulties. Um, and this is hard for us because we just want to, we, we want the thankfulness without the hard parts, right? Um, and, and the truth of the scriptures is that oftentimes thanksgiving is birthed out of deep trial, isn't it? Thanksgiving is birthed out of deep hardship. And the psalmist shows us that. He recalls hardship. This, this, this might be the easiest one for us. In some ways, it's hard. But on the other side, it's, it's, it's really easy because who doesn't remember those moments of deep despair? Who doesn't feel... I went to bed last night. I had, I had written this sermon and, and kind of putting this together. And I, and I just got to tell you, like, like we talked about before, oftentimes nighttime... I think darkness uh, physically sometimes points to, sp- to like the spiritual darkness. I've told you before sometimes the, 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 uh, probably the, the most common time that I would receive texts from students when I was in, in student ministry. Some of the most common times for, for, uh, for, for me to get those texts late at night of what felt like despair um, was, was at nighttime. And, and there, were, there were oftentimes when if I didn't feel like it was too serious to like call the police or call the parents or whatever, I, I would most of the time just say, just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. Call me, I'll, I'll call you in the morning, okay? If it was like, well, you know, my girlfriend like broke up with me and I just like, you know, it's like, okay, go to sleep and let's talk, let's talk tomorrow morning. And, and so there's, there's, a, there's a sense in all of us that remembers us. So last night I was, I was going to bed. I had written this sermon and, and I had... I had um, and, and I, fear just came over me. 
I just I started thinking about my kids. I started thinking about um, just just all kinds of different things. And I didn't get too deep. I told myself just go to sleep. <laughs> you need to, you, your mind's running. By the way, Saturday nights are uh, probably like my most uh, mindfully active nights. Like I, I don't sleep well Saturday nights into Sunday morning because I'm thinking about this, the scriptures. I'm thinking about the word. I'm thinking about my people. I'm thinking about uh, what what God wants to, to to teach us through His Word. And I just remember fear coming over me. And so. There is a sense in all of us, and I want to be very sensitive to this, there, there's a sense in all of us that remembers those deep, dark moments of despair. It's not, it's not hard for us to recall the pain. It's not hard for us to recall the, the, what felt like the breath just being taken out of us when we, when we learned what we learn much of what makes the joy, the psalmist though shows us that much of what makes the joy of our deliverance so sweet and what helps us in our thanksgiving is the ability to recall the darkness we experienced in that dark night of the soul, right? Part of, part of what feeds thankfulness is remembering from where God has brought us. Um, that, that's, that's what the psalmist tells us. Look, look, look what he says. I, I, I love... I don't know what's going on here, but verse, verse 1 and 2, it's, it's almost like, have you ever heard me say something and then I'm like, okay, hold on, I need to say that again because, I, because nobody said amen that time, right? Um, I'm just looking for the amen. It's almost like the psalmist is the first Baptist preacher and it's wonderful. Um, and so what he, what he says is, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. The, the psalmist shows us that what contributes greatly to his thankfulness and his thanksgiving to the Lord is being able to recall how hopeless the hopeless moments felt. And that God has brought us to this place. And so part of, part of what I laid there thinking about last night was like, man, how do I just get up and put this psalm into three clean points? Because the suffering and the darkness and the despair can feel so real. And for me to just stand here and say, well, just remember the bad times, right? Uh, isn't, just, isn't so clean cut sometimes, is it? Uh, because there's, there's, there's real pain and there's real sorrow and there's real sadness. But, but church, that is why the scriptures are so good. Because they do not ignore the reality of suffering. They do not ignore the reality of darkness. They do not, when, when, when we are so quick to maybe just put a band-aid over things, the, the scriptures will open it wide up and will give us a better solution, a better way forward, more hope than we could ever imagine. So the scriptures leave out no component of the human experience when it prompts us to be a people of remembrance, that we would recall those, those moments, we would recall those hard times. In fact, Romans 8.18, someone turn there and read real loud for us. Romans 8.18. Let's, let's, let's look at how, how Paul deals with, with, the, with the reality of of hardship in Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so in Romans 8, 18, that's not only 
Paul getting our eyes back, but it's, there's another component that, like I said, Psalm 124 doesn't, doesn't give us all the components of thankfulness, right? We don't see it in Psalm 124, but Psalm, or Romans 8.18 will expand how we think about thankfulness and not only looking back on the hardship, but Paul will get our eyes, what? Ahead. He'll, he'll, he'll shoot our eyes to, hey, here's what awaits us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. And so we look forward, we look back. Remember what these Psalms of Ascent do. They, they help us look back on God's faithfulness. We've talked about this a lot. We talked about it Wednesday morning with our men's study that, hey, in every other realm of life, uh, really the only confidence that you have in success today is that you'll be successful in the future. Hey, if you, if you struck a million bucks five years ago and you've spent that million bucks, guess what that million bucks means for you today? Nothing. It means nothing. The Christian faith doesn't only depend on what is to come, future success. It depends on what God has always done for us. And what God has always done is the, is the greatest testimony to what God will do, right? We don't, we don't have that same kind of confidence in any other area of life. You know what? Things may have gone well in the past, but I have no confidence how well they'll go in the future. God's people show us through the Psalms always that God's activity, God's faithfulness in the past to us is completely reliable for us to depend our faith on him in the future. And that is a, a beautiful reality. This is hope for the future in Romans 8 and contentment with the present with the full view of suffering before us. And so uh, the Psalms recall hardship. But look what happens next. Secondly, the second thing that we see that contributes to our thanksgiving in the Lord is to rejoice in our deliverance. Rejoice in deliverance. Verses six and seven of Psalm 124. Would someone read that? And so the psalmist shows us that a, another necessary component for God-honoring thankfulness is to rejoice in deliverance. And so we don't only recall hardship, but now what the psalmist does is shows us that we have been delivered, that God has brought us out from this. The psalmist rejoices in this deliverance of God, not, not a random act of deliverance or kindness from God, but deliverance based on, again, like we talked about earlier, based on the nature of who God is. God doesn't, God, let's see, how do I, how do I put this? God, um, God is not faithful because he delivers us. God delivers us because he is faithful, right? God takes care of us because he is faithful. His faithfulness does not depend on, on how we feel about the situation. No, he delivers us and he intervenes because of who he is in his nature. That doesn't change. It, it never changes. And so, again, this is deliverance based upon who God is and who God always has been. And so here's the deal, family. This is kind of a little bit of a, of a planned rabbit trail. You hear that? Planned rabbit trail. Does that make any sense? What do you call a planned rabbit trail? I, I don't know. Uh, scouting, right? Um, and so I want us to be very equipped, and I want us to be prepared 
for the common critique and what I believe is a blasphemy against God, that he is a God of hate and unjustified wrath. God is not a God of unjustified wrath. The, the, the Old Testament God, um, th- 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 this, th- this, this idea that the Old Testament God is one of uncalled for vengeance. Listen, if you, are, if you like, have any time around people who, who, who refuse to believe in God, one of the greatest holdups is that God is a God of unjustified vengeance, that there's some kind of difference between the Old Testament vengeful and wrathful God and the New Testament God, and we just want Jesus and, and bunnies and all those kinds of things, speaking of rabbit trail, right? So if you've been with us for any length of time at, at Grace Harbor, we will strongly proclaim the justice and the wrath of God. Please don't, please don't hear what I'm not saying that God is a just God and a God of wrath. This week I had the opportunity, um, I was sharing with a couple people to, to share the gospel with, with, a, with a neighbor of mine. Um, and and I, I don't know where, how we got to this point, but man, we, we got to a point where we were just, I just shared with him just the very deep realities of what refusing to believe in Christ entails in eternity separated forever from God. And this brother said, well, no, you, you, might, you might go to hell for your sins, but you won't be there forever. Because, if you, because you, you essentially have to work your way out of hell so you can get back into heaven and you can still get into heaven with, as long as you have less sins than, than, than your good deeds, then you can get into heaven. And I don't know how he ended up there, but men just really laid it out there for him. And it was, very, it was, it was hard. It was, it, it, you could see his eyes like, wait a second, there's, there's no getting out? No, and because God is holy and he is just. And so if you've been around, we will strongly proclaim the, the truth of the justice and the wrath of God and that the payment for sin for those who fail to trust in Christ is eternal separation from God. Eternal separation. And there, there is nothing, there's nothing glib about that. But, church family, it is continually true as well as documented in Scripture that the wrath and the justice of God the wrath and the judgment of God is God's strange work. Some versions call it his alien work. That the wrath of God is the strange work of God. It is not what comes most naturally to God. That God is not just most, so, so where, where do I get that? Isaiah chapter 28. We go to Isaiah 28. Some of you are looking at me like, wait, what does that mean? Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28, 21. It says, for the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perazim, as in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed and to work his work. Alien is his work. And this is, this is in context of the justice and the wrath of God. That what comes most naturally to God is not judgment and wrath, but his mercy towards us. That if you will trust him, that if you will put your faith in him, God's, God's posture towards those who come to him with their need is to shower them with mercy. It is not like out of God's wheelhouse to show mercy. God, God is uh, never reluctant with his mercy towards those who repent. Let me say that again. God is never reluctant with his mercy towards those who trust in him. Like, okay, sorry, like the psalmist does. Let me say it again. God is never reluctant in his mercy towards those who trust him. Amen. He's never reluctant. 
It is his, it is his strange work. He is, he is almost always, scripturally, if you read the Old Testament, uh, like, like we can go to Jonah, we can go to like his activity among the, among the nations all throughout the Old Testament. God is almost always reluctant with his judgment. Did you hear that? Maybe some of you, like, maybe just want me to be a little bit harder, but, but I'm not going to be because the Bible doesn't allow us to go there. God is almost always reluctant with his judgment and his wrath, which is why he tells nations over and over and over again, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me. And then ultimately, as we see in the book of Jonah, he will sometimes completely wipe nations out, like, like in Nineveh. He will completely wipe a place out, but it is only because... He gave opportunity time and time and time again for the people of God to turn, or for, the, for those who are far from him to turn to him and to, to trust him. And so this psalm is simply descriptive of what people, the people of God are called to do and what ought to come most naturally, and that is to be thankful for the mercy of God in times of great despair. And so... The third thing that we see, we see, we see the psalmist recall hardship. We see him rejoice in deliverance. And then thirdly, we see him remember his help. Verse eight, someone just read verse eight very loud as we, uh, as we close this chapter. This is the drum that the Psalms of Ascent have been banging all the way through, right? If you read up to, up to this point in the Psalms of Ascent, 120 through 124, you will see this theme come up over and over and over again, that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Almost every psalm up to this point says something like this. And so this is a way of the psalmist and the people of God saying, this is who God is and this is what God does. He rules, he reigns, and he delivers his people. He delivers his people because of who he is. Again, he, is, he, is, uh, he, he, he isn't faithful because he just so happens to deliver his people. No, he delivers his people because he is a faithful, covenant-keeping God. It's who he is. He can't do, he can't, if you are a child of God, God, God cannot let you fall. He will not let you fail. Because, again, not because he decides this day that he's this way and tomorrow that he's this way. No, it's because he is a faithful covenant-keeping God and his activity is based on who he is. His activity is based on who he is. And so I shared this with our men last night in a message thread that we have, and it's a quote by, by Charles Spurgeon. We've got it on the screen, so I'm, yeah, Quinn was, Quinn was ready. This is a quote by Charles Spurgeon on this psalm, Psalm 124. Anger is never more fiery than when the people of God are its objects. Sparks become flames and the furnace is heated seven times hotter when God's elect are to be thrust into the blaze. The cruel world would make a full end of the godly seed were it not that Jehovah bars the way. When the Lord appears, the cruel throats cannot swallow and the consuming fires cannot destroy. Ah, if it were not for Jehovah, if our help came from all the creatures united, there would be no way of escape for us. It is only because the Lord liveth that his people are alive. That is the, 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 the truth and the fundamental reality that because the Lord reigns, because he lives, the people of God are not swallowed up. They will not be swallowed up. 
one of the things that we, we talked about for just a little bit in, in our study this week um, is, the, is, is what happens when we're not thankful. What happens when, when unthankfulness seeds itself in our hearts? Well, uh, Romans 1 is really interesting, um, and, and this was a thought that our brother Kevin kind of brought up to us, um, that, it, that in Romans 1... It, it, shows, it shows kind of what the, the doorway to, to ungodliness is. And in Romans 1, it's very interesting because Romans 1 is that, that, that chapter with a lot, of, a, a, lot of cra- a lot of devious sins, right? Where a lot of things are mentioned that, that, that get us off of the way that God has designed them to be. But, but what is the first step in that in Romans 1? Let's, let's read verses 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For, all they, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, Paul is very clearly talking about the Gentiles in Romans chapter one, those who, those who were not of faith. But the foundation of their futile thinking of their immorality, of, of the, the ways that led them to, to, to abandon the design of God, what, what was the first step in that, does it seem? It says, although they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Man, the, uh, an absence of thankfulness is a dangerous place to be. And listen, this isn't a condemning message. It, uh, that, that's not at all the thing because, if, again, if you've been around, you know that the gospel is, is what, was what keeps us. Our, our ability to be thankful is not what makes us acceptable before God in any way. No, we, we, we truly believe that, that faith alone in Christ and what he has done is what saves us. And so thankfulness isn't what you, the behavior that you do in order to become a Christian Thankfulness is the kind of behavior that marks a Christian. It's not, it's not what you do. It's not like, well, I guess my, my security is based on how thankful I feel today because, man, some of you would feel in deep despair, wouldn't you? Some of you would feel in deep despair today if, if you believed that your acceptance before God was based upon how thankful you are to him. But there is, in scriptures, over and over again, ways the scripture give us to live lives fully as children of God. And one of those ways to live in the fullness of the reality of, of your adoption as sons and daughters is to be thankful, is to be thankful. Thankfulness should not be thought of as something only done by young green believers, right? Maybe some of us believe, well, you know, that's just kind of like, that's Thanksgiving morning stuff, right? That's not, that's not like real life stuff. No, it is the response of those who are living their lives faithfully to the ways that the Lord has pathed out for us. Show me, show me a mature Christian, and they will be one who is deeply thankful. Again, 
Not a, not a Christian whose salvation depends on the amount of their thankfulness, but show me a Christian who is maturing, who is growing in their faith, and they are a Christian who understand what it means to be thankful. Thankful for, despite the hardship, that they know who their deliverer is and the blessing that he has placed upon their lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would use, use this time and, and your word um, to, to strengthen us, to, to uh, empower us um, by your Holy Spirit, through your Holy Spirit, to be a people who are marked by thanksgiving, a people who are marked by thankfulness. Lord, the, the, the scriptures tell us that we are, a, that we are uh, not, that, that we are susceptible to, to forgetfulness. And so, Lord, help us as we see throughout the scriptures to be a, a, a people of, of thankfulness. I'm a people marked by recalling uh, what you have done for us. And even now as we take communion, uh, communion in and of itself is a way for us uh, to be a remembering people, to be a thankful people, to, to be a people who are not forgetful of the salvation that you have brought to us through your son, Jesus, that though we are sinners, Lord, that we stand forgiven before you because of Christ's work for us. And so, Lord, even now as we take communion together, would you help us uh, to, to practice thanksgiving um, and thankfulness for, for what Christ has done? We pray these things in his name. Amen.